This is Bigger Questions with your host, Robert Martin. Welcome to Bigger Questions. Today's big question, can we win the war on waste? Now, we usually record Bigger Questions before a live audience in Melbourne's CBD, but we weren't able to get our guests before a live audience today, but I'm sure you'll enjoy what we have in store. My guest today is Dr. Jonathan Cornford. Jonathan has a doctorate in political economy and a background in international development. He is co-founder of Managum, an independent non-profit organisation which promotes understanding of the ways our economic lives impact upon ourselves, others and in the earth. And he joins me now. Jonathan, welcome to Bigger Questions. Okay. Thanks, Rob. Thanks for having me. No, no, my pleasure. Now, so you're the co-founder of Managum. Now, that's an intriguing name. So why Managum? So Managum is uh, a tree that's pretty common in this part of uh, Victoria yep. grows along round Melbourne. Yep. It's the Eucalyptus viminalis. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a tree that w- Europeans named for a white uh, gum that it produced, a mm-hmm. uh, little uh, that was sweet, and it reminded them of the story of the manna in the wilderness. Uh, oh, from the Bible. From the Bible. Oh, right, yeah. And that's a story about economics and the earth, about how we use. Uh, stuff. If, so it's actually a story, of, a foundational story of what I would call a biblical view of economics. All right. It's about how we use stuff and what the correct, what the a healthy attitude to the material world is. So that if you remember the story of the manner of the wilderness, it's a, the ultimate idea is that none shall have too little, and none shall have too much. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's uh, there's an, an economy of enough, and so this central to the story of Managum is what we talk about. And it's also a tree that's locally important, so it's part of the Wurundjeri. So the Wadun in the Wurundjeri people re- references the, the Managum, actually. That's okay. a, a locally okay. important tree. Right, okay, yeah. But so Managum is more about economics, more so than growing trees or living among them. Absolutely. It's about uh, – so the, the Ministry of Managum is basically about how we use stuff, mm-hmm. its impact on ourselves, on others and on the earth – uh, and trying to get a view of how to do that healthily. The award-winning ABC documentary War on Waste, hosted by Craig Rucastle, highlighted the problems of waste in our country. Now, it's been described as a landmark documentary, and one online comment stated that this documentary has absolutely the most important message to the Australians right now. So why do you think then that the war on waste has captured the public imagination? Well, our family watched it together and we really enjoyed it, I should say. I suppose it connects with your Managum's philosophy then in many ways. Oh, very closely. Yeah, so I, I, I thought they did a fantastic job. So I, yeah. I, I really applauded what they did. Yeah. Uh, why did it capture the imagination? Well, uh, I think it's a, an issue whose time has come. So yeah. it's not exactly a new issue. So I know people have been banging away at this for 20 years or so. Yeah. Uh, so it didn't come out of nowhere, right. if you like. Um, but I think more, more importantly, people are just becoming more and more aware and cannot ignore the scale of the ecological crisis that our planet is facing. Yeah. And people are becoming quite seriously disturbed. And I think there's a lot of people actually personally and emotionally disturbed, worried about that. Mm. Uh, and so it's an issue whose time has come. And here's a program that gives us something concrete to think about how to set something that we're involved in that we can do something about. Mm. Uh, so, yeah, of course it's going to strike a chord. But it doesn't seem a particularly fashionable topic, though, a documentary all about rubbish. 
It's interesting, isn't it, how we've, we've, we have a mindset as sort of viewed rubbish. We have a view of it as being something dirty and we want to keep out of sight. And yeah. actually more and more we're realising so much of what we call waste is stuff that we should be never throwing out in the first place that has all sorts of other uses and that could have, if we treated it differently, have all sorts of other benefits for us. But because we view it as waste and just discard it, has all sorts of negative impacts. Mm. But why do we need a war at all, though? So what's driving our waste problem? Uh, we could we could argue, answer that question from the big perspective and think about economics and government, so we could answer that from the other side and think about the cultures that we all participate in mm-hmm. and that we're all responsible for. And that's my preferred starting place because that's something we all relate to and we have some power over, we have some... Uh, we participate in the cultures. And so we, we live in what one way of describing the culture we live in today is a consumer culture. Right. Uh, and so we're driven by very deeply one of the things at the heart of our culture is the drive to try and satisfy deep wants in ourselves through consumption, right. through, through okay. gratification of through some sort of purchase, whether that's uh, through food and we know about all the issues around uh, how we're eating these days, uh, but buying stuff, technology has become a, a real part of our dry, seeking for gratification. Yep. That's, uh, we think about technology as taking us into virtual worlds, but actually it requires physical hard stuff to right. do it. There's resources that you need yeah. to, to make uh, it happen. And they, they are a big part of a, a waste problem too. Right, um, okay. So there's a, a deep, I think there's a, a deep need in us. So there's some, some actually pretty deep questions we can ask about why we have this deep need that we're trying to fill yeah. through consumption. Mm. Also at another level, how we, a big question of how we view the earth and material stuff. Yeah. You could, one, one people often say that we're, you know, we're, we're a materialistic society and we're, we're too materialistic. Yeah. Actually, another way of thinking about it is to say that actually we're not nearly materialistic enough by half. Right. Actually. That's because, a controversial thing to say. What do you mean well, by it that? Is, what I mean is that actually when, when with all the consumption uh, that we have and the stuff that we buy, it's not actually a valuing of stuff, actually matter, the hard stuff. that right. we're, What we're seeking is just a fleeting experience because we're just discarding it, the, the rates of turnover. We don't really value the the material things that we're buying. Actually, if we had a different view of the world of the things, the everything we have comes from somewhere, right? Comes yeah. from the earth, from trees, from uh, minerals. You know, it's all collated somehow from the earth. If we actually saw that all of that stuff has value and comes at a cost mm-hmm. in some way, it's all brought to us at some sort of cost and gave it a much higher value, we would hold on to it much longer, Right. value it much. So technology, for example, if we, we had a true value of the device that we'd have, we wouldn't discard it after 18 months, which I think is standard life of a mobile phone these days. Right. We would say this is actually brought to us at enormous cost and I should try and keep this thing going for as long as I possibly can. Yeah. We don't value the actual thing. What we value is just the fleeting experiences that it brings us. Yeah. And we're happy to throw it away as soon yeah. as we like. But is our waste problems, are they exacerbated by the increasing urbanisation of human populations? Oh, it's ab- more people now living in cities? Absolutely. So all of that. And so that there's just the, the mechanics of urbanisation, how that works. But also a, a, one of the effects of urbanisation is we're increasingly people who are disconnected from seeing the impact of what ecological harm actually looks like and does in the world and it's real consequences actually on all of us we just don't see it mm. and it's it it's coming back to bite us right. uh, but surely life is better now though isn't it better than our great grandparents living standards are higher life expectancies are longer so surely the modern consumer societies is good for us 
that's a complex question. Cer- <laughs> certainly some of it is, there's yeah. no, no doubt. So um, I would want to just uh, to give a simple answer, the modern style of life is good for us, is bad for us, is a bit silly really, a bit simplistic. Right, yeah. Uh, there are parts of us, parts of it that certainly have been great, but if we look around us, we can see plenty of other parts that have not been good. If we just look at planetary health, yeah. something that we now is becoming to a crisis level, then actually there's pointing to a much deeper flaw in the whole system. Mm. And I suppose that's why things like yeah. war and waste yep. have highlighted that, brought it to a public attention, so to speak. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But why do you think we should go to war in the first place? Like why should we even care about the waste problems of our nation? Well, uh, uh, so I have to. I don't entirely like the language of war, the war and <laughs> war and <laughs> yeah, poverty right. and the war on drugs. So they've never right. been t- terribly successful things. Uh, it's just, I mean, they're, they're, they're alliterating. I think they're exactly using right, a couple yeah. of W's to to grab people, which is fine. I get that. Um, but we need to care uh, because, in the end, it does affect all of us. And if if you have children and you hope to have grandchildren or you have grandchildren, then you have to care about this issue because it affects the health of the planet. Right. Uh, so it literally does affect us all. So is this why you care? Uh, yeah, that's, that's certainly. So I, I have kids and I think a lot about the world that they're growing up into uh, mm-hmm. and that that uh, really keeps me, me awake at night sometimes. Uh, but also the really, other... Really? You actually do lie awake sometimes? Oh, I certainly have. They're... Thinking about... Disposable coffee cups, perhaps, or something maybe bigger than that. No, not quite just disposable <laughs> coffee, but there literally have been nights I've been kept awake by these sorts of right. thinking about these because yeah. I, my, my work is actually really doing a lot of research about what, what's happening and, and monitoring a lot of the research that's happening in the world. So I'm seeing it quite clearly and yeah. it's, it's quite disturbing actually. So that's – I care for that. But actually, you know, another reason to care is um, – is just for the reason of, of love. If we think actually the thing that motivates us and that all humans in the end find most meaningful and significant in life, which is love, the yeah. thing that most animates us as, as, as beings, uh, then if we have love for people or love for the earth, then how could we not care? Mm, mm. So what made you particularly interested in these issues and you know, the connection of our economic lives to the earth? Well, I first it really came onto my my map when I was doing my uh, PhD studies in the no, mid nineteen nineties, and I was looking into development issues in Laos in the Southeast Asia, mm-hmm. looking at, at the issues driving poverty there, uh, and it really came on. So, what as the more I looked into it, the more I realised that poverty in a country like that was tied to what was happening to ecology, to the to the natural world. Oh, really? There was there was a connection between. Oh, the... a very tight connection, and it, it just became the more you 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 dug, the more that became evident, and that that put that onto my radar. And then when we came back to Australia, my wife and I spent a bit of time over there. We the more we had that lens of actually understanding that ecology, what was happening to what we call the environment and environmental health, was clear, cr- critically linked into human well-being. The more we actually started to have that thought and then started to look around us in different places, we started to see the connections all over the place between the connection between human well-being and the health of the planet. And the more we thought about it, read, uh, the more it became evident to us actually we're, you know, it's, it's obvious really we're, mm. we're creatures of this planet. And of course, we're all, we're tied into its health. We're sort of interconnected with it we're, in some ways. Yeah. So then, how does that impact the way that you now live? We've been married a bit over twenty years, uh, trying to choose ways to live um, that reflect some sort of way of trying to care, take care for how the way that we 
use stuff and consume stuff, how that affects others to, you know, it's talked about as trying to live simply so that others may simply, simply live. live. Yeah. Turns out that living simply is quite complicated in the end. Um, <laughs> But so there's a whole bunch of steps where we, we so we've tried to live with less. So very uh, at the root of it has been trying to uh, we've made commitments to try and live off lower incomes and yep. to actually just buy less stuff. So and the, the easiest way to buy less stuff is to to have less money. Uh, but then in terms of how we think about the money that we do spend, because we all need to spend and consume to try and show as much care as we can. And there are limits to that and there's no perfect way. But to show, try and show as much care as we possibly can for other people and for the planet in our acts of consumption. So do you think that the problems with consumption are perhaps even a spiritual problem? Entirely a spiritual problem, yeah. yes. So um, so I would say it is a spiritual disease actually what do you mean by that um so it comes from it's being driven as i was uh saying before by some sense of lack and needing to feel a vacuum i think so i think there's a spiritual root to it now Mm -hmm. um so here it's trying to do some sort of uh diagnosis of our culture and civilization (laughs) of course it's different for every person is different but if you look at a societal level there is some something deeply that we're trying to fill with the the amount of gratification that we're pursuing, yeah. both physical gratification, so just look at the, you know, what's happening in food and how we eat, and yep. and we know it's bad for us, and and yet it continues to go on. If you think about uh, just the physical stuff that we consume, but even how we consume on on screens, yeah, uh, and we're we're trying to fill something. Yeah. There's something that we're we're trying to seek. There's something missing for us. Right. So uh, that's a spiritual problem. Yeah. There's that we're we're lacking uh, both some sense of meaning and perspective. Mm. Uh, so how have you filled that that deeper spiritual longing? So I, I've come from a, a Christian background. Uh, then my understanding of where meaning and purpose come from has always derived from my faith mm-hmm. from. Uh, connection to God and through connection to God being reconnected to the world. Mm. So uh, you see those two working together then, do they? Fundamentally, they have to. Yeah. Yeah, so how, do you expand about that? On, on uh, well, to put it in the language of the Bible, uh, you know, the, the first and great commandment is love the Lord your God and the second is like it, love your neighbour as you love yourself. You, mm. there's, you, there, actually, the way in which we love God most tangibly in the world is through our connection to, to each other. Mm. Uh, mm. So... There's no such thing as loving God and not loving human beings. You don't really love God mm. if you if you don't love so what con- other people. What convinced you then that the the, the biblical viewpoint, a vision of the world, was worth living out in practice? Uh, because the more I saw it, the more it didn't just seem the right or just thing to do, uh, which is where I started. So my my burning passion to start with was with issues of social justice, yep. and then I started to build in. I guess you'd call it environmental justice. The way of life it describes is actually good or to use deeply healthy. It's what brings us wholeness mm. and healing. And that's the thing that, that motivates me more than anything because uh, things like justice are great but actually devoid of a sense of health and wellness, uh, they can become quite harsh things. Uh, but what really keeps me going is the sense that it's not just because it's the right thing to do, but because it's intrinsically good and good for me mm. and for my family. Mm. So there's also there's a biblical term that sometimes used is the idea of shalom. 
and so is that's the idea of sort of wholeness and completeness and peace, so to speak. Is that is that kind of what animates you or motivates oh, you? Oh, entirely, yes. Yeah. So the biblical vision of shalom is a huge one and it's actually it's a concept that has to do fundamentally with relationship. So the idea of peace, we it's often translated as peace, but it means much more than just the absence of violence. It means all things really in right relationship, the idea that we can be in relationships, ways of relating to each other that... Uh, worse or better, and shalom is the vision of all things being in right relationship, in mm. the best relationship that they can be. And that it's a vision. So in the biblical worldview, that's always been a vision that includes how humans relate to each other, mm-hmm. how humans relate to God, mm-hmm. and how humans relate to the earth. So the earth in the, in both Old and New Testament, but the earth has been part of the picture of shalom. Mm, mm. So is this what convinced you then to become a Christian believer, this idea of that it works in the world, that it's a, it's a positive picture of the world? What, what, was that what convinced you? Mm, no, I think I, so I, I probably became a, a, a Christian like many uh, other people through just a deep personal need uh, in my mm-hmm. uh, angsty teenage years. <laughs> you know, as <laughs> You're searching for something. Searching for something as an angsty teenager like just about every other teenager uh, and had some wise people who really inputted into that and and that is where I really gained my faith. Yeah. And the more I have pursued that faith, the deeper and broader and the more substantial it has become. Right. For me, the more it is the more it has explained the world in which I live and also offered me a, a way to live in it which yeah. is uh hopeful and satisfying perhaps. And satisfying. Yeah. Now, what are you saying then about what the Bible says about stuff or about things? Is it a negative view so that the Bible advocates, you know, we become perhaps like ascetic monks, you know, sitting on top of poles, taking vows of poverty, renouncing every worldly possession. I, I suppose that'd be one way of yeah. ending the world at war on waste is by consuming nothing, but it doesn't seem terribly appealing. So is this what the Bible says about stuff? No, it's not. And it, we generally, um, and this, I think, so, you know, there's been, Christianity has um, has a, some, uh is a bit to blame on on some of this. We've we've often got it wrong in a couple in two different ways. One, we've we, we've either said that uh, stuff, the material world, is bad and you have to reject it. It's yeah. all about spiritual life. Yeah. Or we've gone the other way and said actually stuff, the material world, is of no consequence at all, and you can do whatever you like with it, and have as much of it as what you want, and treat the earth however you want, and that's of no consequence. Uh, and neither is actually true to how the Bible talks about those things. So the way the Bible talks about the material world, right from the very first story, the opening creation story in Genesis, the whole import of that story is that the world is good. Mm. It is good, it is good, it is very good. Uh, and so there's this imprint of blessing that the, the physical material world was created uh, out of a good God's intention, out yes. of love, and it's good. Um and it's affirmed again and again through the Old Testament, but right at the beginning in the New Testament, the and the central affirmation of Christian faith is that uh, that God's word, the thing that God wanted to say to humanity, became flesh, mm. actually entered the material world, and 
uh, participated mm. in matter. Well, that would have been pretty radical in the sort of the Greek milieu or the Greek culture of oh, the time, it, which it, didn't affirm the value of the physical world, did it? It was scandalous. Yeah. It was a scandalous idea that. So, so the, uh, the arch, one, uh, former Archbishop of Canterbury, William Temple, once said, uh, Christianity is the most materialistic of all religions <laughs> in that it, it affirms matter, but it puts it in its proper place. So what the Bible says about matter is that it is good, it is very good, but we need to live in right relationship to it, which is why. So there is such in the back to the story of the manna in the wilderness. There is certainly such a thing as too little. We get that. We understand poverty, and no one wants to have too little. But that story, with the part of the story we've missed, is that there's also a thing as too much, mm. and that message is. Uh, reinforced just again and again and again in the Bible. I don't know how we've it's been missed by so <laughs> right. many people because it's just once you start to see it, you can't mm. unsee it. Well, perhaps those ideas are found in the Old Testament wisdom book of Proverbs, which contains a couple of intriguing sayings. So Proverbs 24, 13 says, Eat honey, my son, for it is good. Honey from the comb is sweet to your taste. And then in the very next chapter, Proverbs 25, 16 says, If you find honey, eat just enough too much of it, and you will vomit. So does this help us understand this biblical perspective on that the material world is good, honey is good, but too much of it, and it makes you sick? It's a great little couple of sayings. Yeah, I love those little passages in, in Proverbs. No, they, in a nutshell, they, they summarise uh, the, particularly the Old Testament view of material life. It's good, enjoy it, but, but, there's a but that comes with it. Eat too much and it will make you vomit. And you can, you know, if we think, the pro- they're not just really interested in honey here. They're, they're telling us <laughs> something more about life. You and know. stuff. Yeah. And actually all of us know it. We know it. If we just pay attention to our own lives, our own experiences of consuming things, we know there's a point of too much. Yes. Although sometimes my daughter doesn't necessarily know that when she wants, she says, what would you like to eat for dinner? And she says, I'd like to have 100 cheesecakes. <laughs> and and well, I can't think, well, well give it to her one day and she will, she will learn that <laughs> lesson. <laughs> but isn't Christian theology to be blamed for the modern ecological crisis? Like there was an influential paper in the 1960s written by Lynn White who claimed that it was a biblical view of the world which presented that it was God's will that man exploit nature for his proper ends. So is this a fair reading of the Bible? Uh, no, it's not. And it's not a fair reading of history either. Um, so Lynn, Lynn White's thesis has been very influential and there's a lot of people who now think that our ecological problems come from this the, biblical the view. Christian worldview. Yeah. Uh, it's mistaken on two fronts. One, it's a it's a poor reading of actually how history happened. Uh, so actually, if you the the if you're really to look at where we started to become ecologically damaging, it's through the process of the Enlightenment and the Industrial Revolution. And starting to, in it, once we, um, once we stripped the the earth of its sacredness, uh, then we allowed it to be uh, uh, basically exploited the way we did. So the, it's it's wrong historically, but even more importantly, it's he just it's not the message of the Bible, and it's certainly for at least certainly for the first sixteen seventeen hundred years of the of Christian history, it was never how the Bible was read. It has to be admitted there are some. There are Christians who read the Bible that way today, but that's a modern phenomenon. It's actually something new in Christian history. Mm. It's not something that's come out of uh, a biblical worldview. It's actually come out of modernity, out of a modern worldview, industrialized worldview. Mm-hmm. So then how does the biblical teaching then compare with other environmental philosophies? 
actually, I think it stacks up very well because one, it gives an intrinsic value to the planet and other creatures on the planet. It gives an intrinsic value to life and the material world, a value in and of itself. Uh, the second thing it does, which is more controversial for some, is that it gives, it discusses centrally the role of humans. Now, today, there's people who would object to that and say mm. that's... Um, Speciesism. Speciesism or it's anthropocentric or, yeah. you know, um, placing humans... Um, and I, I get, you know, so they're, they're objecting to the view that humans have uh, not taken care for the consequences of their actions. Yeah. But actually the whole import of the story in Genesis 1 in particular, the, the whole, so the, the language that's used in the English translation, it's often been translated humans are given dominion, which is a, but actually the Hebrew word is, is a word which is better translated as they're given a mastery or what it's really what trying to tell us is the thing that we can see with our very eyes, especially in the 21st century, is that of all species on this planet, humans have a special power. Mm. And they can affect this planet uh, like no other species and therefore they must take responsibility for the power. In fact, mm. that's the import. That's one way of thinking about the God's message to humanity throughout the Bible. You have been given a special power, which means you have a special responsibility. And if you do not master your power you bring destruction on your own house as well as everything around you. So that's uh, that's actually really the the import of, of that message. And so and it's now scientists who are telling us actually humans can actually undermine this whole planet. It's humans who are the ones who and it's we are the ones who are the special mm. have the special prayer. So, um, so scientists are now understanding what the Bible's been teaching us for thousands of years. For thousands of years. Yes. 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 So, in, so what you're saying though is this: this idea of power is, in some respects, reflects the reason we have a, a waste problem in the first place. That humans have actually not taken responsibility for what they've been given. Yeah, that's one way of viewing it, irresponsible power. We we haven't recognised uh, that we need to put limits on the way on our use of stuff on our power. So for power to be used responsibly, it needs limits. And that's a, a very good way of thinking about economics as well for economies. Actually, if we're um, to use economies well, we need to place limits on them in all sorts of ways. Mm. Uh, and we're realising that physically now in the, and ecologically that unless we place limits on how we uh, interact with the earth, then we can't go on. So do you think that Jesus would have used a keep cup? Would Jesus have used a keep cup? <laughs> well, he probably used a clay cup. Which, <laughs> right. You know, you can throw away and it does no harm. Right. Uh, um, uh, sure. I mean, I'm not. I, I, <laughs> do I think it fits um, a Jesus way of seeing the world? Yes, because it's simply a way of trying to show care in the ways that you have available to you. Um, mm. So I don't, I don't want to argue that having and using a keep cup is... Uh, being right or pure or anything, uh, you know, we have to be careful using moral language. But it's good to do, and it's a way. It's one way mm. we have at at our disposal to try and show care, mm. and it's good for us, and it's and becomes good for the world. So, Jonathan, can we win the war on waste? I don't know. <laughs> I hope so, but we need to. <laughs> but actually the the most important things we really need to do is to find ways to consume less stuff that's that's what the world most needs of us and actually it's really the thing that's going to be most healthy for us and our families too is to consume less stuff mm. well, let me leave you with the bible's answer to this bigger question can we win the war on waste in proverbs 25:16 
If you find honey, eat just enough. Too much of it, and you will vomit. I look forward to you joining us next time for Bigger Questions. Thanks very much to our guest today, Dr. Jonathan Cornford. Enjoy Bigger Questions? You can help us keep asking them for as little as $1 a podcast. Support the show. Go to patreon.com slash biggerquestions.